since going open source, you know, it's like breathing free now. We're open by default. If someone has a question, we can explain it in great technical detail. We can even point them to the code. And it's really a different style of working. And it's so much better. This is Contributor, a podcast telling the stories behind the best open source projects and the communities that make them. I'm Eric Anderson. All right, I'm here today with the team from Gitpod, including Jero, Christian, and Sven. I practiced those names in advance, but I think I may have not gotten them right. Hey, welcome to the show, everybody. Hi, Eric. Thanks for having us. Gitpod's a relatively new project, and so this will be interesting to hear kind of a very recent story. I think it would be best to have each of you introduce yourselves individually just a bit so that we can hear your voice, and that will help us for the rest of the show know who's talking. Uh, great. I propose that Gero starts because he kicked off the first code, basically, and then we can continue with Christian. Okay. I'm uh, working for Typefax and on Gitpod for three years now. And yeah, I'm one of the software engineers in the team. And yeah, that's basically it. Hi, my name is uh, Chris. I'm uh, yeah also one of the software engineers on the team working for Gitpod. And I joined, I believe, about two months in. Is that about right? So um, very early on in the project. Yeah, and have been at it ever since. I am Sven. I'm co-founder and CEO of Gitpod. And... Yeah, I think that like when Gero joined the team, we were a consulting firm doing developer tools for all kinds of large and small companies around the world, basically. And we had this idea, we wanted to build something like this, this for automating dev environments and so on. And what we usually do is if someone joins a team, we have like this first one or two months onboarding things and and then I asked Gero to basically build a minimal viable thing or a proof of concept around this idea. And then, yeah, he kicked off like the first two months. Like in the second month, I joined a bit here and there. And then we understood, okay, this is really cool stuff. Uh, we want to continue on that. Like before that, of course, we had already built or worked on some ingredients that were very important to this project. For instance, we created the open source uh, project called Thea, Eclipse Thea, which is a open source IDE based on VS Code tag that allows you to run it in, in browsers and desktop at the same time. Yeah, and we've been working on, on the different other than like products for clients, like a data science IDE. And from that, I basically learned the time it's really good now to build a, finally a decent cloud-based dev environment experience, so which yeah, um, that resulted in Gitpod. Great, thank you for the the background. So the three of you came together through this consulting company, right, Typefox, and so you didn't necessarily know you're going to go and build this product. What situations motivated you to start the project? You mentioned that you kind of had ingredients and that you wanted to build this? Were there client work that motivated you? Was it more personal pain points? What was the motivation? It was mainly personal pain points, actually. <laughs> As consultants, we have to switch between a lot of projects. And then also we are so deep in open source, like we, we run 
and like we are still running kind of five, six open source projects where we are very heavily engaged. And then also we are contributing to a, a bunch of others. So you are switching, you have to switch your dev environments between these projects all the time. The main use case was really doing deep code reviews where when you do a code review like on GitLab or GitHub using the diffs, then it's somewhat superficial. And if the changes are important enough, it's always a good idea to check it out in a real dev environment and run some tests, you know, or even just navigate the code base properly and so on. And so that was the, the main driver at first. And that's also why we focused on, on pull requests and code reviews in the beginning. But it, it was pretty clear soon that, well, it, it, it makes a lot of sense to have disposable dev environments whenever you we need them for all kinds of tasks. Got it. So, so Jiro joins the team and you give him kind of this starter project. How fully baked was the idea like when you when you handed this assignment to Jiro, did you know exactly what to build? Or was it kind of vague? And and what was kind of the first step? Maybe that's something that Jiro can answer, right? Yeah, <laughs> <Do> you remember? <laughs> I very vividly remember the first day I started at uh, Typefox. <laughs> I was introduced to this guy called Sven, <laughs> and he said, "Yeah, GitHub has this project. It would be really cool." If we had a button next to the project where you could open a dev environment in one, with one click, and I said, okay, sounds cool, <laughs> but it was all pretty new to me, the whole technology, the stack. I think I was working four months on this project before it really clicked for me personally. It was the first time I opened the dev environment on the GitHub project, and it really yeah, built everything I didn't build at that time. But it were, all my tools were installed, and I could work on actually do actual coding work in the browser when it uh, made really click for me. And so I think the idea, at least Sven had the core idea in his head. But, uh, since then, we I think it evolved pretty heavily. Got it. And it sounds like you had to trust him a little bit at first. You were like, sure, whatever. And then after you built it, it's like, wow, this actually is this could be very useful. Yeah, exactly. For the first month, I mean, uh, we didn't know each other before, so I was new to the company and to everything. And uh, so, yeah, it took a little while to really get addicted to this uh, disposable workspace, uh, disposable dev environment concept. Got it. And then, Christian, I imagine you're working on other projects, and at some point you get pulled into Jiro's. Is that right? So, actually, I also um, started right on Gitpod when I joined the company. So, I. Um, got hired at, at Typefox. And during the interviews, uh, Sven already mentioned, you know, we're working on something really cool. I can't really say that much yet, but, you know, it's around Def and Mohammed's about online IDs. And that was a topic I was interested in before as well, like um, also in sort of the Eclipse space and had looked at that. And also at my previous job, I, I looked into stuff like that. And so it got me really excited. And then I, I joined the company and I think on on my second day, Giro gave uh, gave an overview of what he had built, and much like it was all new to him a couple of months before, it was all new to me at that time. So it, you know, th there was a lot there to unpack. There was a lot to understand, but it all looked really cool. It was early days, which is exciting because it means there's a lot you can do, and 
there's a lot of chance to have an impact on on the direction where things are going. So yeah, much like you, I also joined at the deep end of the pool. Right. And if I recall, it was announced or open sourced in August. So when did this happen? When when did the kind of the project start internally? I started working on the first prototype, I think in at the end of 2017. But there was nothing that could be compared to Gitpod now. I think something that had a web interface and would, at least at the ba- very basics, was similar to what we have now is, I think, after the first half of 2018. Got it. So this has been going on much longer than I expected. That's awesome. So I, I joined in April 2018, right? And at that point, you could already open stuff and you could work in it. And as Giro said, you know, it's a far cry from what we have today. It was a far cry from what we have today. But you, you could already do work in it. Yeah, we probably fall into this trap that many founders do, like they build and build and build. But I mean, actually, we went public relatively early without a lot of noise. But we, I think we went public in September 2018. I showed the stuff at conferences already in June 2018. Then we had a real going public in June 2019 with a bit more announcement around the SaaS version. And then, yeah, it felt like we've been always working in open source projects. Like everything we did so far within the consulting firm Typefox was open source. This was the only non-open source project. And it was interesting that what kind of problems that had for us, like communication-wise, engaging with community. Like we had a lot of people who were pretty stoked about get part in the whole idea and they want to contribute and they ask questions and then it was always like can we talk about that it's closed source and you know it was not clear and like since we open sourced it in 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 august this has been really much nicer now like the code is there and we are still working on on pretty clear policies within the team that we like we want to be public by default, for instance, like there's always a question, this information, where should I put it? And we, you know, what I say, like, yeah, if you don't have really good uh, reasons, then put it into the public issue tracker. So everyone, you know, can see it and we can communicate there. So that has been very beneficial for sure. Yeah. I also culturally, like I found this is the biggest benefit of, of making it open source before it, as Sven said, it was always you know, we were quite timid with regards to what do we say. And also it, it showed in the product, like some bits, you know, we weren't sure if there was secret sauce or not. And it was never quite clear. And so also in how the product behaved, it showed and how we behave towards our users and the community. And since going open source, you know, this is just gone. It's like breathing free now. We're open by default. If someone has a question, we can explain it in in great technical detail. We can even point them to the code. And it's really a different style of working. And it's so much better. It sounds like you were kind of first planning on building a business around it and then later kind of an open source project. Was the plan always to build a business? Was there ever a time when this would just be an internal tool for you in your client work? We always wanted to transition from a consulting firm into a product shop. We just, you know, we were looking for what kind of product do we want to work on. The reason for that is we have a really great team with lots of 
really good engineers and having them individually helping other companies working on different products is fun, but it's so much nicer if you can work together as a team and build the stuff you really you really love without any compromises and so on. And we wanted to get that to that point. Makes sense. And we had an introduction to your role so far. You know, Jiro kind of led the project. Christian joined. Sven was the idea. How, how have those roles evolved, if any, over time as the project's grown? And have, have there been other people that kind of joined the group? For one, Gitpod is actually its own company now. So we, Typefox is still running as a consulting firm. And because we wanted to, you know, make sure that both sides don't get distracted from each other, we founded a, a company of its own. In that company, in, in Gitpod, we have now 13 people, and most of them are engineers, I think everyone but two. Uh, so the team is a bit larger now. I think, yeah, I mean, Giro and Chris are still like the kind of architectural backbone of the whole thing, working on on the deep technical things in the, in the back end, so to say, like deep with Kubernetes and so on. But we also have team members who are, for instance, Anton, he is uh, one of the core architects of Eclipsea, and he is also, you know, deep in front end stuff like the TypeScript code and so on. And we are the others as well. Like the team is growing and we are starting to separate or identify different areas. So it's it, the system has become complex enough such that it's hard, like as a single engineer, to overlook everything. Now talk to us about the open source launch. What does it look like to launch open source? Is it just merely flipping the public bit? Do you do marketing? How do you prepare? Is there a kind of work around the code base? Does someone want to unpack the war story uh, this summer? <laughs> <laughs> I hit a sour spot, it looks like. <laughs> no, it, there's a lot to unpack. Let's put it that way. So what happened was, so we set ourselves a, a time frame in which we wanted to make this happen. And I'm not entirely sure how much time we actually gave ourselves. It felt like two weeks. In reality, it was clearly more. And then there were two things that really went on in parallel. And it's, it's by no means just flipping a bit. Unfortunately, there's a lot more to it. One was the uh, sort of the code side, the engineering side, and the other one was the, the marketing, the being loud about it, the telling people about it side. And from the code side, what we wanted to do or what we needed to do is, you know, some cleanup. There's also the, the engineering pride. You know, there are some things that when the code base where we're like, yeah, no one's ever going to see that. That's fine. But now people will. So we better clean those up. And then also um, making it work for you know people coming into the project, looking at the code, making it understandable, and splitting off the parts that we need to operate the the SaaS offering. Um, so there there are some bits that you know are just very SaaS specific that uh, are not in the in the code base, and extracting sort of that core out of it and and moving that into a separate repository and changing all the infrastructure. CI, CD, um, et cetera. So that was on the engineering side and on the marketing side and being loud about it. I think Sven can say more about that. Yeah, I mean, that was pretty straightforward, engaging with the team, talking about the messaging, updating websites and so on. I think really like the, the tough part was like splitting the code because we wanted to have as much as possible open source, but there is still 
some stuff that we only need for running the SaaS version of it and specifically stuff like billing, integration, and so on. We didn't want to put that into the open source core. A lot of architectural issues at some point. And also we had the ongoing deployment of the, of the SaaS version and where we at some point we had to say like, okay, we need to stop this now because we have to focus. We are, you know, only so many engineers. And so interestingly, what happens if you, you know, stop with some regular habit, then it's getting harder to getting into that habit once again. Um, so... And even after the launch, we had still a couple of weeks, and still, to some extent, we are we are fighting with that um, to catch up again, getting into the mode where the systems are running nicely, and we are in this you know normal pace of continuous development, basically. Yeah, you mentioned you had this community of users, you know, who were excited about the open source, so they could contribute and help out. Do you tell them that the open source launch is coming in advance and use them to help amplify the announcement or do you kind of just surprise everybody? I think we mostly surprise everybody. Uh, there were maybe some friends or so we, we told them. We thought more we wanted to, you know, make like a big bang. And now, now that you're open source, do you find it's easier to onboard new customers? They get to play with the code base. Maybe you can tell us about the kind of reaction and and impact of the announcements since August? Yeah, the reaction generally is very positive. And the the launch was just the start of a journey where we need to engage. Like we had a community before, but now also we have this aspect that community members could contribute solutions to problems they face. And, you know, building a product that is all about making contributions easy. Of course, there is a lot we should do about this. Um, so we are working on all these aspects, making it super easy. Although Gitpod is a quite complex Kubernetes application, and you know it's like especially in that those cases, the onboarding is pretty hard. And yeah, I think feedback is great. We get um, contributions, but I, I'm pretty sure we can do much better. Even like getting rid of a lot of friction, also. But then also not only tooling-wise, but also in the community or project, writing down certain processes more formally so people know what happens with my issue, like when will it be considered, what is the process here, and so on. So this is all stuff we are working on, and we want to become better over time. Where do you go when, when you have these questions about open source launches or engaging with the community? Are there experts you turn to for advice on how to do this? Or you mentioned that you've done a lot of open source work before. So maybe you felt like you kind of knew the playbook. Yeah, the, the open source stuff we did before was open source, like in the vendor free, like vendor neutral open source thing, where you really put out open source and then it's commodity. And what we did with GitHub is more like open core, so similar to GitLab or so. So there is a, some aspects to that where also business-wise, of course, we needed to understand what is the implications of certain decisions, for instance, licensing and so on. But yeah, we all have been working in open source many years, have seen a lot of open source projects, different ones, launching one. But of course, we also have a lot of advisors and friends uh, who are deep in open source. And they, they gave their feedback 
but we didn't engage with a professional consulting or so in that regard. And let's kind of switch gears. Where do you see the project headed from here? Maybe what's the state of the project today and any kind of big milestones that you're working for that you want to speak to? So on the technical side, one of the biggest milestones is, is right ahead of us. So we are right in the process to deploy new runtime for workspaces to Git.io. I think that will change a lot because it allows users to do exactly the same things in their workspaces as they do in their local dev laptops. Um, there were a few hurdles that are now relieved. And I think once that's out, it's a huge step for Gitpod and would uh, enable a lot of user growth, I think. So it will enable a lot of more use cases and that will help adoption quite a lot. Yeah, one aspect of building an open source community, I suppose, is community management uh, engagement. Do you have people on your team or tools that are dedicated towards getting feedback from the community, responding to open source user needs, that sort of thing? Yes, of course, like one of, of the engineers is responsible or head of community. And it is, you know, looking in streamlining processes, documentation, communication there, but also overlooking like metrics in that regard. So we are not so interested at this point in gross metrics like we are interested, but what's more important is response times and stuff like that. We just want to make sure uh, people who engage with the GitPod project get the feedback like when they put some time in they need to get the feedback and this is really challenging with a small team that we are and with so many cool things we can do all day like what gero said just one aspect is that yeah we we have now docker and root support in, in GitPod, but also we are working on a bunch of other things at the same time and running an uh, a SaaS service 24 7 and engaging with the with the community so sometimes it's hard to you know without proper processes the, to make sure everyone gets the feedback they need. Long-term, we will, of course, also work with other tools that give us more other metrics and, and so on. But at this point, I think quality is much more important, just you know, directing, engaging with the individuals and streamlining communication there. Yeah, yeah, the response time goes a long way. It's like a liveliness test. You know, you reach out on a project and somebody bounces back, like, okay, this is for real. It's going to be something I can rely on. You mentioned licensing earlier. One of the decisions open source projects have to face is how are they going to license and govern the project going forward? How have you resolved those questions? We go with, I think closest is MetaMost, but we have a core which is open source and runs without any other code. And that code is a GPL license. And then we have source code, available code, which adds additional features for which you need a professional license in order to run that. The amount of that code is pretty small at the moment because we are not targeting revenue really, but more adoption. What like We think this whole idea of having automated disposable dev environments, it is so new that we first need to educate the developer world around the possibilities and, and, and why they want to do that and how it you know removes a whole ton of problems not only time wise but also works on my machine problems and so on and for that 
it really makes sense to have an open source solution that completely works. But we wanted to put in something that signals, hey, at some point we will ask for some money. And so we have this professional subscription or professional license, enterprise license for the open source version that adds some team features. Long term, we will add more enterprise features there so that whatever developers want to use, like our primary user base, our developers, whatever they need around features and so on would probably be open source. But features that buyers would like to have, like security, analytics, um, you know, integration with other systems in, in, in a larger enterprise, those would be part of the enterprise code. And I think that's like Sid, the CEO of GitLab, coins that Firebase pricing. Great. Well, this has been uh, fantastic. I, f- I feel like we've got the the grand arc of the company. Anything we missed, Sven, Christian, Kiro? Uh, a lot, probably. <laughs> but, um, <laughs> yeah, no, that, it has been really nice talking to you, Eric. Thanks uh, for having us. Maybe as we continue working on the product, we can get another you know interview with updates around where we are heading and so on. That would be actually very interesting to kind of get the the updated take. You know, if listeners are excited about the project, any advice on where they go or how they engage? Yeah, they can go to any GitHub repository and then just go into the URL and type in front of it, gitpod.io hash, and then they will get that repository in a dev environment in the browser. Thank you very much for your time. And yes, we'll uh, circle back in some months time and, and see how things are progressing. Cool. Awesome. Thank you for your time. Thank you. Thanks, Eric. You can find today's show notes and past episodes at contributor.fyi. Until next time, I'm Eric Anderson, and this has been Contributor.